I started getting pain on the bottom of my neck and to the left of my head and my cerebellum. And I'd get this weird feeling. So the only way I can really describe it is if you've had tinnitus, where every now and then you get really, really high-pitched noises in your ears. I'd started taking Panadol, I think, morning, noon and evening, you know, every five hours, however long it's said to take it. And I thought, well, this is weird. I've had a headache now for a week and it hasn't gone away. So I emailed the stroke clinic in Charing Cross. I said, look, this is really weird. Like, I'm sort of having a headache. Can, can I please come in and have someone see me? And they said, yep, come in tomorrow. So I went in. They kind of listened to my symptoms and thought, well, this isn't right. I had an MRI scan and they found that I had a lot of CSF fluid. Our hospital gowns have like, obviously one side of them is completely split. Um, you've got to tie them up. And she said to me, well, look, if you put one on front ways and then if you put one on back ways, you're covered both sides, you know, it's full privacy. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So she went and got me a gown so I could put it on almost like a jacket. Because I put my right arm in and then I went to put my left arm in. And at this stage, I have no idea, but I'm having a stroke. I went to put my left arm in and my left arm came up as so it should. But I'd lost all feeling in my left arm and my arm actually coming up gave me the biggest fright. Now I'm at that point in my life, I think mainly it started after my second, my second stroke, but more so after my third stroke, that I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to own that I've had a stroke, you know. After my first stroke, I was a bit embarrassed. But after my second and third strokes, I've learnt, you know, there's so many other stroke survivors out there. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, you'll hear the second part of Jessica Penberthy's stroke story. My third stroke was the most different by far. About a week before my third stroke, I started getting a weird kind of niggly headache. So it started like, so my cerebellum stroke was on my right hand side. I started getting pain on the bottom of my neck and to the left of my head and my cerebellum. And I'd get this weird feeling. So the only way I can really describe it is if you've had tinnitus, where every now and then you get really, really high-pitched noises in your ears, and it kind of comes and goes. Well, mine wasn't high-pitched noises. Mine was actually the feeling of a vibration in my ear. So it would literally feel like you've got a bee, you know, fluttering its wings kind of thing in your ear. And I thought, oh, my God, I've actually something caught in my ear while I've been asleep kind of thing. Like that was the weird feeling. And I'd started taking Panadol, I think, morning, noon and evening, you know, every five hours, however long it's said to take it. And I thought, well, this is weird. I've had a headache now for a week and it hasn't gone away. So I emailed the stroke clinic in Charing Cross. I said, look, this is really weird. Like I'm sort of having a headache. Can, can I please come in and have someone see me? And they said, yep, come in tomorrow. So I went in. They kind of listened to my symptoms and thought, well, this isn't right. I had an MRI scan. And they found that I had a lot of CSF fluid, basically the fluid that goes all around the outside of your brain and all the way down your spinal cord, basically just kind of surrounds it, kind of cushions it. Well, I had too much fluid in my head and where my previous surgery was, it actually was quite swollen that it swelled out past the rest of my head. 
it was almost like I had a big egg on the back of my head. So they said, well, look, we need to get your scans from the other hospital. So we'll have to keep you in overnight while we wait for those. And I said, yeah, that's fine. So I stayed in overnight. The next morning, a physio lady came before, I think just after breakfast. And she said, I just want to do some physio on you if that's okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm just here for the night. You know, I'm just waiting for some test results to come back from the other hospital. So I've got to wait until they come back. And then hospital gowns. So hospital gowns have like, obviously one side of them is completely split. Um, you've got to tie them up. And she said to me, well, look, if you put one on front ways and then if you put one on back ways, you're covered both sides, you know, it's full privacy. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So she went and got me a gown so I could put it on almost like a jacket. So I put my right arm in and then I went to put my left arm in. And at this stage, I have no idea, but I'm having a stroke. I went to put my left arm in and my left arm came up as so it should but I'd lost all feeling in my left arm and my arm actually coming up gave me the biggest fright because I couldn't feel it. And I was so confused and I was like, what the hell just happened? And she said, are you okay? And I was just standing there trying to work out why my arm gave me a fright. You know, I was like, what's going on here? And at that stage, she said to me that my whole side of my face had drooped which is obviously one of the one of the um, symptoms of having a stroke. And luckily for me, I was already in hospital. So she called the doctors and within you know, less than 20 seconds, I had about 10 medical people around me, you know, examining me, seeing what's going on, like what's happening. And at that stage, I was in such a panic because I couldn't actually speak. So I actually had aphasia. So I couldn't speak. I was trying to asked somebody to get my phone, which was on the table, so I could call my boyfriend. And I was trying to say, please get my phone. And everything that came out of my mouth was just nonsense. Like it was just, you know, it didn't even make any sense. It wasn't any words. It was just blah, 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 blah kind of thing. And I was really lucky that day because the main head of the stroke department was working. So he took me downstairs. I had a CT scan I think I'd had all of the, you know, CT, MRI, everything done within 10 minutes, 20 minutes. So CT scan brought up nothing. So all three of my strokes have been ischemic, which have been caused by clots. So for me, CT scans haven't brought up anything. Um, so I demanded an MRI. I had an MRI scan, which then revealed that I'd had a third stroke, albeit it was a lot smaller than my other strokes. This time around, Jessica asked for specific stroke medication. I said, look, I want the clot-busting medication. After my first stroke, I kind of, you know, the clot-busting medication, it sounds so good because it, you know, it can reverse the effects of having a stroke. For me, I had clot-busting medication within probably an hour. I couldn't move for a day. I had to stay bed-bound. When I first had my stroke, I couldn't speak. I started being able to say some words, but my tongue was very twisted and I, you know, because obviously half of it was affected. And I started being able to say some things. But yeah, so I was bed bound for a day and I did notice that some of the effects had actually started reversing. So my effects weren't as severe as what they were. For me, I kind of thought, oh my God, why, you know, if, if only my previous two strokes had been picked up sooner, I could have had this in my previous two strokes. They wouldn't have been as bad as what they are now. I felt very lucky that 
I managed to get that treatment. And then from there, I spent the next month in hospital. I literally demanded, I said, look, this is not normal. This is not okay. I've now had three strokes. You cannot tell me that you've done all that you can do. Like I was pushing and pushing and pushing for them to do as many tests as possible. So they said, well, look, we can do tests on you, but you have to stay in hospital. As soon as you become an outpatient, you go onto the waiting list for outpatient. Staying in hospital for a month was really hard. Um, it was very hard mainly because I tried to keep my own routine, you know, so getting up in the morning, staying awake throughout the day and then going to bed at night. And if, you, if you've ever been to a hospital, there's people, there's beeping, there's machines going off all the time, there's lights on. So from, a, you know, from an emotional point, it was very hard. You know, I'd wake up at two or three in the morning and be wide awake just from people's machines going off and, you know, being woken up for heart tests or, you know, heart monitors and things like that, getting my temperature taken. But I kind of endured it because I knew what I was doing and getting the test done was worth it. So I started getting really rare tests done. So I had two spinal taps where you kind of lie on your side and they put a needle in your back to collect your spinal fluid so that could be tested. I had like tens of, probably not hundreds, but a lot of blood tests. I had pretty much blood tests done every day. I had multiple scans done. I then had a PET scan. So what that is, is you kind of lie in a room and they inject some kind of nuclear glucose. Um, so it's literally like nuclear medicine, which for me was quite freaky. So because it's quite active, you have to lie in, in a bed and don't move for an hour before your before your scan. So wherever the glucose goes in your body, it kind of kind of shows an area that might be inflamed or might be damaged. So I had things like that done. They couldn't find anything after all of that. And they said, look, it's very, very rare. There's, you know, we don't really know what, what to check for. You know, we can't really give you an answer. We've done all that we can do. And this was late October. Because of my second stroke, I hadn't been on holiday or gone anywhere since my second stroke in March. So I'd booked our first holiday for the year um, to go to the Japan Rugby World Cup. And for me as a New Zealander, like, you know, rugby is our number one sport in New Zealand. We're crazy about rugby. So my goal was to get out of hospital and travel to Japan. You know, I didn't care what I needed to do, but I wanted to be there. And so I was supposed to have been started on Warfarin. Now, Warfarin is, that's a whole other story. But it takes a very long time to become stable on Warfarin. So they said, well, look, wait until you're back because I also had to get a muscle biopsy where they kind of cut you open and take a piece of your muscle. That was kind of the next step, you know, in, in the medical examination process. So we agreed to do it when I got back from Japan. So they said, before you can start on warfarin, we don't just want to leave you on the same and you know antiplatelet medication that you've been on, which was clopidogrel, which failed, and then aspirin. We want to put you on daily injections. So each day I had to inject, um, well, my partner did, I couldn't do it, inject myself with heparin, which is basically a really strong blood thinner. So I said, well, look, if that's what it takes to get to Japan, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. So I took all that, took a lot of medication, and I was discharged on the Friday. 
and I was due to fly to Japan on the following Monday or Tuesday. I think it was the Monday. And when I got home, I was really unwell. From I, By that stage, I'd had two lumbar punctures, spinal taps. And I was really unwell. I started suffering side effects from the second one. And that's because they took too much um, cerebral spinal fluid, which meant that if I was lying flat, I was okay. If I stood up or I sat up, then I started getting really dizzy. I started getting really nauseous. It was a really horrible feeling. So I literally had to lie flat. And then the next day, you know, I'd just been home. It was starting to become really nice weather. And I thought, stuff like, let's go out. We'll meet some friends. I traveled, I think, to St. Albans. And I started getting really unwell on the train. I started feeling very nauseous. It was almost like a really, really extreme hangover. That's what I kind of felt like. So we got to the event, I kind of struggled through it and then we got home and I was like, I'm not going out again. So I just lied there for the rest of the day. The next day was really bad. I hadn't gotten any better. And so I emailed the same kind of stroke clinic and said, look, I'm coming back in, like something's not right, I don't feel okay. And so we got an Uber and as we were driving to the hospital, I started feeling very nauseous um, and started throwing up. And I was really, really ill. Like even to get out of the Uber to go into the hospital, I was so scared that I'd just throw up on everybody. Or, you know, I just I was just so sick. Eventually, we got upstairs into the stroke clinic where I was previously, and they had buckets and all that kind of stuff to help. But basically, I was readmitted back to hospital with side effects from the lumbar puncture. And then on top of that, I started having really bad, I think the second day in, I started having really bad migraines. So I was bed bound with migraines. It was not nice. <laughs> Although she's undergone many different tests, the causes of Jessica's three strokes are still unclear. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Jessica on deciding to go travelling. You know, when you're in a place where you've got no family support to help you or, you know, where your friends are you know, traveling or busy with their own lives, it's actually quite hard and you realize how isolated you are. So we decided to kind of go go to Australia um, and see my family for a holiday for Christmas. So we actually went back to Australia and had a really nice break. And being an inspiration to other survivors. There's so many people out in the stroke community that have been an inspiration to me. And I just hope that I can inspire people in their recovery to to not give up and, and keep pushing because it does it does get better and you won't have your old life back. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, there's no way I'd ever get my old life back. But that's not to say you can't pave a way for your you know your new your new life life pre um, or post stroke. Let's hear how Jessica continues to recover. When I was readmitted back to hospital, we had to cancel our trip to Japan. That was done. Couldn't do anything about it. And then I sat in hospital, waited for that to be finished, you know, kind of feel better, and then I was released home. And then coming home, I was just kind of recovering. You know, I saw um, I was trying to do physio. I went back to my neuro physio to try and, like, you know, get help getting back to normal again because I feel like I'd made some progress from my stroke in March and I didn't want to lose it. But also I had a muscle biopsy, which... When a doctor tells you it's a muscle biopsy, they kind of say, oh, you know, we go in, we take a little bit of tissue out of your out of your thigh, 
you know, it's really quick, really painless. You can walk around and, you know, you know, walk, walk home, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, it's fine. But it wasn't. I actually had a massive, probably like a three centimetre cut in my leg. It's almost like a big thick needle the size of like a pen. So it's quite thick. Um, I took a piece of muscle and then stitch it back up. Um, and randomly, like it was so bizarre. So before I went into hospital for that, my partner actually ended up in crutches. So after my muscle biopsy, I literally couldn't walk and they'd left me in a day room and said, oh, yeah, you can go home now. And I said, well, can I get some crutches? Like I cannot walk. What am I going to do? But my partner actually had crutches. So we had one crutch each. <laughs> they managed to crutch down to our waiting Uber and go home. So we were both out of action for a while, which, you know, really sucked. It's, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in a place where you've got no family support to help you or, you know, your friends are, you know, traveling or busy with their own lives, it's actually quite hard and you realize how isolated you are. So we decided to kind of go go to Australia um, and see my family for a holiday for Christmas. So we actually went back to Australia and had a really nice break and just a lot of downtime just to kind of recoup from from the struggles that we'd had. And my partner's families, well, we're all from New Zealand, but my partner's family lives in New Zealand now. And we thought, well, while we're of this side of the world, we'll go check out New Zealand. So we caught up with friends and family and then COVID's hit. So we're kind of stuck. <laughs> we're here trying to do our best and, you know, stay away because my mum actually sent me something that was in the news, um, which is really interesting to me and also extremely scary, is that COVID has actually, because it mutates itself in so many different forms, Doctors had actually started studying it because it started showing that it increases the clotting in people's blood. So it was actually causing a lot of young, healthy people who accidentally got COVID to suffer strokes. It's quite scary. So obviously, being a stroke survivor, I've had to, you know, treat myself as high risk and stay out of the public. You know, stay away from from anyone that could potentially give me COVID nineteen. Jessica believes she's come to terms with the impact that strokes have had on her life. Now I'm at that point in my life, I think mainly it started after my second, my second stroke, but more so after my third stroke, that I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to own that I've had a stroke, you know. After my first stroke, I was a bit embarrassed. But after my second and third strokes, I've learnt, you know, there's so many other stroke survivors out there. And if you actually take the time to look and research, you know, I joined Instagram I think after my second stroke, because I just felt surely there's other people out there like me. You know, I can't be the only one that's going through this and I didn't want to go through this recovery process alone. So now I want to kind of put my voice out there and, you know, and put put my experiences out there because, you know, if I post this kind of thing on my kind of stuff on my personal Instagram, no one's going to really, it's going to be like, oh, stop being so dramatic or, oh, no, not another stroke post. We're, it's because I've got my own kind of Instagram and I'm following other stroke survivors and other stroke, other stroke survivors are following me. We can instantly understand what each other's been through and understand exactly how they feel. So I think to share my story, I really hope that I can encourage, you know, other stroke survivors out there that it's okay you know, you're not alone. And also, you know, to give them hope that it will get better. 
there's so many people out in the stroke community that have been inspiration to me. And I just hope that I can inspire people in their recovery to to not give up and, and keep pushing because it does it does get better and you won't have your old life back. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, there's no way I'd ever get my old life back. But that's not to say you can't pave a way for your, you know, your new your new life life pre um, or post stroke. Just when Jessica believed she was making progress in her recovery, another stroke would hit and she'd have to undergo more tests to try and find a cause. And although one wasn't found, she continues to live life on her own terms and is dedicated to sharing her story as widely as possible to help inspire other stroke survivors. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. And I've always heard stories about people with brain aneurysms and I always wondered well what does that feel like and when I felt it I was like that's what it feels like um I immediately crawled on the floor and began to projectile vomit um my speech was getting slow so I acted fast I knew at that point that I was having a stroke and a ruptured brain aneurysm Please do subscribe and rate and comment to help us spread the Stroke Stories word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and you think there's a good story to share, we'd love to hear it. Please contact via Twitter or Instagram, where our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>